Lesson 8 for May 18 to 24, Season of Parenting, read by Dr. Percy Harold. Sabbath afternoon, May 18. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for your word and the advice it gives us, particularly this week, on parenting, on caring for our children, our offspring, whether it be ours or those in our community or our church or in our wider family. And as we open your word, we pray your Holy Spirit will guide us. There are so many lessons for us in your word about this and many other areas. We pray that we will walk with you and do your will as a result. In Jesus' name, amen. Our memory text this week is Psalm 127, verse 3. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Let's read that again, Psalm 127, verse 3. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Births are such a common, normal occurrence that often we don't always fully appreciate the wonder that they are. Imagine what Eve must have felt holding baby Cain in her arms. The changes she experienced in her growing body during those months, the excruciating pain of childbirth, and then seeing this small child, so much like them, yet so defenceless. What an experience it must have been for Sarah in her nineties, and way past childbearing age, to contemplate upon the face of her own son Isaac. She must have laughed every time she pronounced his name. After praying for a son for who knows how long, Hannah held Samuel and said, For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition, which I asked of him. 1 Samuel one twenty seven. The wonder in Mary's heart, still a young girl cuddling her son, God's son, with a combination of amazement and fear. At the same time, not everyone has the privilege and responsibility that comes with parenting. This week, we will spend time exploring the season of parenting with its challenges, fears, satisfaction and joys. Sunday, May 19. Childless Parenting Question, read Genesis 18.11, 30 verse 1, 1 Samuel 1, 1-8, and Luke 1 verse 7. What do these people have in common? How did God answer their longings? Genesis 18 verse 11. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Genesis 30, verse 1. Now when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said to Jacob, Give me children, or else I die. And 1 Samuel 1, verses 1 through to 8. Now there was a certain man of Ramathim, Zophir, of the mountains of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zoph, an Ephraimite, and he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other, 
Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. This man went up from his city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Also, the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Penina his wife and to all his sons and daughters. But to Hannah he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable, because the Lord had closed her womb. So it was, year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, that she provoked her. Therefore she wept, and did not eat. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? And Luke 1 verse 7. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. Children are a blessing. But for some reason... God doesn't always bless everyone with children. Some hope and pray for a family, and God graciously grants their request, sometimes quite miraculously, as in the case of Sarah. Others, just as fervent in their petitions before God's throne, are met with deafening silence. Every time they see their friends, praise God for their pregnancies, and when they welcome their babies, it deepens the depth of the wound as they consider their emptiness. Even such innocent questions as, how many children do you have, serve as painful reminders of an exclusive club that those without children are excluded from, even though they may want to join. Those who have gone through such an experience should come to accept that God understands their sorrow. The psalmist declares of God in Psalm 56 verse 8 from the New Living Testament, You keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. Even though he seems silent, he says in Psalm 103, verse 13, once again from the New Living Testament, or New Living Translation, The Bible is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. Other people, meanwhile, for various reasons, might choose simply not to have children. One can understand in a world like ours, so full of suffering, pain, evil and potential calamity, why some might decide not to bring more people into it. In some cases, some people might choose to adopt children instead of having their own. That way they can raise children who are already here, often giving them a chance at a much better life than what they might have otherwise had. Our world is a complicated place, and we are likely to meet all sorts of people in all sorts of situations in regard to having or not having children. In whatever situation we find ourselves regarding the question of children, we can live with the assurance of God's love for us and His desire for our good end. At the same time, too, let's always remember to be as sensitive as we can toward people who, for whatever reasons, do not have kids. And so to finish today, Jesus never had any natural children of His own. What lessons, if any, are there for us in this fact? 
Monday, May 20, Single Parenting One phenomenon the world faces is that of single parents, often but not always a woman as the single parent. Sometimes we think of single parents as those who have conceived a child out of wedlock. However, that is not always the case. Hagar was pressured into having a child with Abraham and then was forced to leave her child. As we read in Genesis 16, verses 3 and 4, Then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. So he went into Hagar, and she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was became despised in her eyes. And Genesis 21, verse 17, And God heard the voice of the lad. Then the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said to her, What ails you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Elijah was sent to a village called Zarephath to help a single mother who was a widow. 1 Kings 17 verse 9 Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. By the time Jesus began his ministry, Joseph, his adoptive father, had died, leaving Mary a widow and a single parent. As Ellen White writes in Desire of Ages, page 145, Death had separated her from Joseph, who had shared her knowledge of the mystery of the birth of Jesus. Now there was no one to whom she could confide her hopes and fears. The past two months had been very sorrowful. End of quote. Being a single parent is perhaps one of the most challenging jobs a person can have. Many face difficulties such as managing their finances, dealing with the other parent, or simply having time just for themselves or to spend with God, and wondering whether they will ever be loved again. Question. What promises can anyone, including single parents, take from the following verses? Jeremiah 31 verse 25 For I have satiated the weary soul, and I have replenished every sorrowful soul. And Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And Jeremiah 29 and verse 11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. And Jeremiah 32, verse 27, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? And Proverbs 3, 5 to 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understandings. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. And Isaiah 43, verses 1 and 2, But now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. 
We, as a church, have the responsibility to help single parents. James wrote in James 1.27, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble. One could add in principle, and single parents in their trouble too. The help we can offer does not have to be just financial. We could allow them to have some respite by taking their children for a while so they can do other chores or rest, pray and study God's word. We can serve as mentors to their children or help repair things around the house. We can be God's hands in numerous ways to help support single parents. And so to finish today, without passing judgment as to how they came to their situation, what specific things can you do to encourage and help single parents? Tuesday, May 21. The Joy and Responsibility of Parenting Question. Read Psalm 127. What is the basic message of this short psalm? What important principles should we take away from it for ourselves and how we live? Psalm 127 has just five verses. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labour in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for he gives his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. When you wish to cook your favourite dish, you follow a recipe. If you add all the needed ingredients and follow all the steps, the majority of the time you get the desired results. Parenting, though, is not like cooking. No child is exactly like any other child, and if you do everything just as you have done with other children, they can turn out different. This may have to do with their gender, the order in which they were born, their temperaments, or a host of other reasons. In God's plan, parents would lead and teach their children to love and obey Him. As we read in Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 to 9, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house, and on your gates. And Psalm 78, verses 5, 6, and 7. 
For he established a testimony in Jacob, and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers, that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, the children who would be born, that they may arise and declare them to their children, and that they may set their hope in God, and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. The directive from God to parents is to train up a child in the way he should go, Proverbs 22, verse 6, not to hover over children to make sure they never make any wrong decisions. While we want to see our children go from cuddly, defenceless little people to independent, successful adults, our ultimate responsibility is that they come to know, love and serve Jesus Christ. As parents, we can follow the plan for the spiritual development of our children outlined in Deuteronomy chapter 6, which we've just read. There are four important prerequisites that we recognize the Lord our God in Deuteronomy 6 verse 4, that we love him fully from the heart in verse 5, that we treasure his word in verse 6, and that we share with our children what we know about him. And we read that in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 20 to 23, when your son asks you in time to come, saying, What is the meaning of the testimonies, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, We were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders before our eyes, great and severe, against Egypt. Pharaoh and all his household. Then he brought us out from there, that he might bring us in to give us the land of which he swore to our fathers. Deuteronomy 6 continues on to provide two important principles. First, the teach-talk principle of verse 7. Teaching refers to formal education, while talking refers to informal instruction. In both cases, the communication of biblical truth takes place within the setting of the parent-child relationship. Formal times of teaching can happen during family worship, as we study God's Word with them. Informal teaching arises spontaneously in the circumstances of day-to-day life, and is even more important. Everyday incidents can become effective vehicles for communicating biblical truth, as we read in Genesis 18, verse 19. For I have known him, in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. The second is a bind right principle that we read about in Deuteronomy 6 verses 8 and 9. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house or on your gates. Spiritual truth must be bound up in our actions, hand, and attitudes, head, and also it must be inscribed in our private doorposts, and public gates, lives. It must move from our hearts into our homes, and from our homes into the world. 
Wednesday, May 22. Parenting as Disciple-Making Question. Read Genesis 18, verses 18 and 19, and 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 10 to 14. Contrast these two fathers. What were the results of their parenting styles? Genesis 18, verses 18 to 19. Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him, for I have known him, in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord, to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. And First Samuel chapter 3, beginning at verse 10. Now the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do something in Israel at which both ears of every one who hears it will tingle. In that day I will perform against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end, for I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows, because his sons made themselves vile, and he did not restrain them. And therefore I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering for ever. Parents have a responsibility to be the disciple-makers of their children, so they will become disciples of Jesus themselves. There are parents who believe that the way to teach and correct their children is applying physical punishment. The more, the better. Proverbs 22 verse 15 reads, Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of correction will drive it far from him. And chapter 23 verse 13, Do not withhold correction from a child, for if you beat him with the rod, he will not die. And Proverbs 29:15, The rod and rebuke give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Passages like these have been misused to abuse children and force them into total submission, but often that also has led to rebellion against their parents and God. The Bible teaches parents to govern with kindness. Ephesians 6 verse 4 And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Colossians 3 verse 21, Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. And to instruct children in righteousness, Psalm 78 verse 5, For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers, that they should make them known to their children. And Proverbs 22 verse 6, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old he will not depart from it. Isaiah 38 verse 19, The living, the living man, he shall praise you, as I do this day. The father shall make known your truth to the children. And Joel 1 and verse 3, Tell your children about it, let your children tell their children, and their children another generation. As parents, we ought to provide for our children. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 14. Now, for the third time, I am ready to come to you, and I will not be burdensome to you, for I do not 
seek yours but you. For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. And set a good example for them to follow, as we read in Genesis 18 verse 9. For I have known him, in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that he may keep the way of the Lord, to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. And Exodus 13 verse 8. And you shall tell your son in that day, saying, This is done because of what the Lord did for me when I came up from Egypt. And Titus 2 verse 2, That the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. We are told to direct our households well in 1 Timothy 3. Verses 4 and 5, One who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? And verse 12, Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their houses well, and to discipline their children. In Proverbs 29, verses 15 and 17, The rod and rebuke give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Correct your son, and he will give you rest, in verse 17. Yes, he will give delight to your soul. While at the same time reflecting God's love, Isaiah 66 and verse 13, As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you, and you shall be comforted in Jerusalem. And Psalm 103 verse 13, As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. And Luke 11, 11, If a son asks for bread from any father among you, Will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Sadly, the Bible reveals stories of parenting gone wrong. Isaac and Rebekah played favourites with their sons. Esau and Jacob, Genesis 25 verse 28, And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And later, Jacob displayed the same attitude toward Joseph in Genesis 37 and verse 3. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. Also he made him a tunic of many colours. Eli, even though he was a religious leader, failed to correct his children, as we read in 1 Samuel 3, 10 to 14. Now the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do something in Israel at which both ears of every one who hears it will tingle. In that day I will perform against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows because his sons made themselves vile, and he did not restrain them. And therefore I have sworn to the house of Eli, that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned by sacrifice or offering for ever. 
Samuel, who also was raised by Eli, turned out to be a very deficient father himself, as we read in 1 Samuel 8, verses 1 to 3. Now it came to pass, when Samuel was old, that he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba, but his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain, took bribes, and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Look, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord. King David, by committing adultery and ordering a murder, taught his children who followed his example. King Manasseh sacrificed his children to demons, as we read in Second Kings 21 verses 1 to 9. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hepzibah, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. For he built the high places which Hezekiah his father had destroyed, he raised up altars for Baal, and made a wooden image, as Ahab king of Israel had done, and he worshipped all the host of heaven and served them. He also built altars in the name of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, In Jerusalem I will put my shame. And he built altars for all the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. Also he made his son pass through the fire, practicing soothsaying, used witchcraft, and consulted spiritists and mediums. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. He even set a carved image of Asherah that he had made in the house of which the Lord had said to David and to Solomon his son, In this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever, and I will not make the feet of Israel wander any more from the land which I gave their fathers, only if they are careful to do according to all that I have commanded them, and according to all the law that my servant Moses commanded them. But they paid no attention, and Manasseh seduced them to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. As did King Ahaz in Second Kings 16 verses 2 to 4. Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. And he did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord his God, as his father David had done. But he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. Indeed, he made his son pass through the fire according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out from before the children of Israel. And he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places, on the hills, and under every green tree. Fortunately, however, we also find in the scriptures some examples of good parenting. Mordecai was a wonderful adoptive father to Hadassah, Queen Esther, as we read in Esther chapter 2 and verse 7. And Mordecai had brought up Hadassah, that is, Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had neither father nor mother. 
The young woman was lovely and beautiful. When her father and mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. And Job prayed for his children regularly. We read this in Job 1 verses 4 and 5. And his sons would go and feast in their houses, each on his appointed day, and would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. So it was, when the days of feasting had run their course, that Job would send and sanctify them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offering according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. In all of these examples, good and bad, we can glean lessons on parenting. And so to finish today, what can we learn from the examples of parenting that we see in the Bible? In what ways can we use some of these principles in our interactions with those who are not our children? Thursday, May 23, Fighting for Your Prodigal Child Question, read Proverbs 22, verse 6. What is your understanding of this passage? Is this a guarantee, a promise, or a probability? Proverbs 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old he will not depart from it. Sometimes as a parent you do everything you should. Spend time teaching your children the right things, living according to your knowledge of God, send them to good schools, attend church regularly, become involved in mission work with them, and they end up leaving the faith in which you raise them. The amount of pain is excruciating, and there is not a moment of rest from your concern for their salvation. The cause is not necessarily the parent's fault. Children have minds of their own and are ultimately responsible to God for their actions. Some have taken the words, When he is old, he will not depart from it, as a promise, a guarantee that proper parenting will always result in their child's salvation. But Proverbs often gives us principles and not always unconditional promises. What we can take out of this text is the assurance that the lessons learned in childhood will last a lifetime. Every child reaches an age when they either accept the heritage of their parents as their own or reject it. Those parents who are careful to provide their children with godly training have the assurance that what they taught their children will always be with them, and if or when their children walk away, the seeds they planted in their hearts will continuously be in them calling them home. Being a good parent is our choice. How our children turn out is theirs. What should a parent do when a child goes astray? Turn your children over to God in earnest prayer. If anybody understands your pain, it is God, whose children by the millions have turned their backs on him, the perfect parent. You can support your prodigals with love and prayer and be ready to stand alongside them as they wrestle with God. 
Don't be too embarrassed to ask for support and prayer. Don't blame yourself and don't be so focused on the prodigal that you forget the rest of the family. Parenting a prodigal can divide your household. So, build a unified front with your spouse and set clear boundaries for your child. Remember that God loves your child more than you do. Look to a brighter future and accept that your child is God's work in progress. So to finish the day, it's only natural in such a situation to blame yourself. And even if you have made mistakes, why is it better to focus on the future and on the promises of God? Philippians 3 verse 13 Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Friday, May 24. Ellen White writes in the Adventist Home, page 266 and 267. You should take time to talk and pray with your little ones, and you should allow nothing to interrupt that season of communion with God and with your children. You can say to your visitors, God has given me a work to do, and I have no time for gossiping. You should feel that you have a work to do for time and for eternity. You owe your first duty to your children. End of quote. And from Testimonies for the Church, Volume 1, page 218. Parents, you should commence your first lesson of discipline when your children are babes in your arms. Teach them to yield their will to yours. This can be done by bearing an even hand and manifesting firmness. Parents should have perfect control over their own spirits and with mildness and yet firmness bend the will of the child until it shall expect nothing else but to yield to their wishes. Parents do not commence in season. The first manifestation of temper is not subdued, and the children grow stubborn, which increases with their growth and strengthens with their strength. And that brings us to our five discussion questions for this week. 1. What does it mean to be a child of God? How are we to understand that image, and what comfort can we draw from it? 2. One father, soon after his child was born, said the following... I've learned two great theological truths within the first few years after my children were born. The first is the reality of free will. The second, the reality of sinful human nature. How might young children have taught him these truths? 3. When is the appropriate time to help shape the will of children? How should this be done? How can we shape the will of our children according to God's plan when we have not fully submitted ourselves to His will? 4. Dwell more on the question of single parenthood. What are practical ways that your church, as a whole, can help single parents and the children they are seeking to raise on their own? 5. What are ways to encourage parents whose children have strayed from the faith? 
Inside Story. Our mission story this week is titled Why I Quit My Job, and it's by Bo, as told to Andrew McChesney. A remarkable experience prompted me to quit my 17-year job as a worker at a thread-making factory and devote myself to full-time gospel work in China. When I was 39, my son wanted to go to a trade school to become a lathe worker, but the tuition for the three-year course cost 10,000 yuan, money that we didn't have. My Seventh-day Adventist mother suggested that we pray about it. We prayed, but I didn't expect a miracle. When my sister heard about the problem, she contacted a friend who worked at the trade school and asked whether my son could apply for a scholarship. The friend, the school accountant, said scholarships only were available for low-income families and we didn't qualify. But at her suggestion, my son went ahead and enrolled at the school. Meanwhile, my mother, four sisters and I pooled our money. When we went to the school to pay, we were greeted by the accountant. She told my son to write a scholarship request letter on the spot and she took it to the principal's office. When the principal looked at the letter, he said, By how much should I help this student? You have the power to do whatever you like, the accountant replied. The principal wrote 500 on the letter. When the accountant returned with the letter, I was so excited. I didn't know what 500 meant, but even a 500 yuan discount would be a big help. We took the letter to the cashier's office. Would you like to pay for one year or all three years? The cashier asked. All three years, I said. The cashier did some calculations and announced, Your grand total is 2,700 yuan. We were in shock. We didn't know what happened or how she came up with that figure. Even today we don't know what happened. Until that day my faith in God had been shallow. But... After that experience, I realized that God cares for us. I decided to serve God with all my heart. I have few talents, but I decided that I could help clean the church or visit people. Today, I am 54 years old and oversee five churches. I feel very unworthy to be called a gospel worker, but I believe that God is leading, and He will help me to do the gospel work. And as you can see, the story came from China. Part of the third quarter 2018-13 Sabbath offering was sent to open a holistic inner-city church plant in China. The author's name has been changed. You have been listening to a reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide by Dr. Percy Harold from Queensland, Australia. This service is brought to you by Hope Channel, the Sabbath School Department and Christian Services for the Blind. Remember, God is always faithful.